Hi, I'm Kim Carson. And I'm Peter Klein. And this is We Had No Idea. Episode 21. Ooh. 21. Woohoo. <laughs> <laughs> We come to you from Akinsis, and we acknowledge that we get the privilege of living and producing this show on the traditional territories of the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Tsutsina Nations, the Iahe Nakoda Nations, the Métis Nation Region 3, and all people who make their homes on the Treaty 7 region of Southern Alberta. You can find out what native lands you're on by looking at native-land.ca. Our sources for the show today, history.com, biography.com, slate.com, we went to the internet a lot, rollingstones.com, <laughs> theguardian.com, vox.com, businessinsider.com, abc.com, and gq.magazine.co.uk. Whoa! Sources were used. <laughs> yeah, we were a lot of Googling this week. Yeah. Do we have to put Googles? No, we don't have to put Google as a source. I mean, Google do... Go- Google do... <laughs> I don't know where you were planning on going after that, but Google do. Google do. My Google brain was <laughs> my brain was thinking .ca.com, and then I was like, does it matter? Is it different? I don't know. It does not compute. Oh, <laughs> uh, that was good. Yeah, that's pretty funny. Um, also, yeah, 21. Yeah, this is We crazy. are legal worldwide, baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's nowhere else that has. Like, 21 is kind of the max, right? Like, there isn't somewhere in, like some off far away place in Europe that like legal drinking age is like 25 or something like that. I mean, this feels pretty obvious to say, but we obviously have no idea. Right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So I, a little bit of a different feel for this episode, I guess we're going to go back to our like ping pong style. Kind of, you did your research. I did mine. Mm -hmm. Speaking of research, uh, some areas of India have drinking ages as high as 25 and 30. Damn. Yeah. The bonus fact. There you go. Look at that. Just popping them in there. Um, So this week's episode, as I'm sure you already know, is on Olympic adjacent events. Yeah. Um, Some of you may know me as a sports guy. And if you saw me doing an Olympic thing, you may have rolled your eyes. Like, oh, we get it. People run fast. This is going to be the non-sports portion of the Olympics because a lot of not sportsy things have happened at this worldwide sportsy right extravaganza honestly i think um thinking about the events that i have chosen mine ended up being more sportsy mm. than i had originally intended mm. yeah mine are uh well we'll get into it but okay. um thank you so much for downloading yes for rating no i don't get another yes Yes. For reviewing? Yes. For subscribing? Yeah. And for loving a shit out of the show. <laughs> <laughs> or at yeah. least liking it mildly. We right. appreciate it. Thank you for tolerating us. Yay. Uh, so I think that you're up first. Okay. Um, Speaking of Europe. <laughs> nah. Um, so just some background on the Olympics that I didn't know. Uh, the first written records, th- this is not the first one, by the way. Uh, we're not doing an in-depth breakdown of the first Olympics as our first thing, but just some... Wasn't the, it in, like, Athens? The history of the Olympics, finisher of sentences. Oh, sorry. Uh, the first written records of the ancient Olympics date to 776 BC, when a cooked name... Made up, made up year. Yes. Uh, when a, cooked na- a cook named Corobus won the only event, a 192-meter foot race <laughs> called the Stade. Uh, the origin of the modern stadium. Are you laughing because of how weird this is, or did I screw something up? 
A 192 meter foot race. <laughs> I just, what was the, they were like 200's too much, but right. 190 is 200, too 200, you're out of your mind. We're going to die before we get to 200. Mm-hmm. 192, that feels right. Yes. Um. So this cook is the first documented Olympic champion. However, it is generally believed that the games had been going on for many years by that time. Legend has it that Hercules, son of Zeus, and the mortal woman... Alchemy? Alchemy? Sure. Uh, Founded the games, (laughs) which by the end of the 6th century had become the most famous of all Greek sporting festivals. Mm. The ancient Olympics were held every four years between August 6th and September 19th during a religious festival honoring Zeus. The games were named for their location at Olympia, a sacred site located near the western coast of... Why did I leave this in? Peloponnesi Peninsula. In southern Greece. (laughs) Their influence was so great that ancient historians began to measure time by the four-year increments in Olympic Games, which were known as Olympiads. So this is the background history that I am sure many years later they would think of um, being described as. In 1933, shortly after assuming power, Adolf Hitler moved along with plans to turn the 1936 Summer and Winter Olympics into showcases for his regime. So, a bit different than a celebration of Zeus. Um, This is a uh, Hitler thing now, and you're laughing again. I'm already laughing because we went went different directions with this. Mm, With, like... You took a Larry and I took a Ralph, man. (laughs) With the the types of stories that we did? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, when you were bringing up yours, I was like... Okay, we, yes, different. (laughs) We are different sides of the same coin, my friend. Mm -hmm. Um, Hitler, um, sorry, Hitler ordered the construction of a massive new stadium in Berlin and channeled funds toward the completion of an airport to welcome international visitors. The summer games were meant to be the first to reach audiences around the world by way of this newfangled thing called television as well as and i did not know this going in the now traditional element of the olympic torch relay oh that started with hitler uh, oh Mm -hmm. awkward i want to say that's nice but nope it's not (laughs) (laughs) um Of course, while the Olympics are designed to bring a number of races and cultures together in spectacle of competition, that's not usually Hitler's jam. In fact, he deliberately hurt his country's chances of success by keeping Jewish people out of athletic clubs and events. And there were a few Jewish people who were medal contenders, which again, probably shouldn't have mattered, just let them go at it anyway, but still. Um, For Adolf Hitler and the Nazis, the 1936 Berlin Olympic Games were expected to be a German showcase and a statement of Aryan supremacy. Hitler lambasted America for including black athletes on its Olympic roster. In all, the United States won 11 gold medals, six of them by black athletes. Of course. Jesse Owens was easily the most dominant athlete to compete. He captured four gold medals, the 100-meter, the long jump, the 200-meter, and the 400-meter relay, and broke two Olympic records along the way. Suck it, Hitler. Um, yes. <laughs> there are videos of him, of Hitler being, like, quite pissed as this is going on. Um, but, yeah, like, just a giant F you um, in, in this entire thing. Yeah. It almost didn't happen. Uh, American decision makers, aware of Hitler's discriminatory policies against the Jewish people, although maybe um, not 
quite how uh, aware of how aggressive he was mm -hmm. in this distaste. A fierce debate raged about whether to boycott the 1936 games. Mm. Amateur Athletic Union President Jeremiah Mahoney argued that participation amounted to support of the Third Reich, but he was outdone by American Olympic Committee head Avery Brundage, who insisted that the games were for athletes and not politicians. Like other elite black athletes who grew up in an unequal society, Owens considered the moral stance against Germany to be hypocritical and wasn't inclined to surrender the chance to shine on a global stage, hmm. which was something that was really driven home in like some interviews and stuff after. It's like, look, like obviously this Hitler guy is a bad dude, but y'all don't think discrimination isn't happening over here? Like, right. And we want to boycott because of this? No, 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 no. I'm, I'm going to get my chance to be one of the best human beings on the planet and you all can take your moral high ground somewhere else. Totally. Which is a, a real interesting, uh, I, I think, kind of look at things. Mm -hmm. While Owens helped the United States at the games, his return home was not met with the kind of fanfare that one might expect. President Franklin D. Roosevelt failed to meet with Owens and congratulate him, as was typical for champions. The athlete wouldn't be recognized until 1976, what? when President Gerald Ford awarded him the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Should be obvious, but I, we never made this abundantly clear. Uh, he's a black fellow. Um, and this period of time in American history not necessarily kind to black fellows. Uh, Owens didn't seem surprised by his home country's hypocrisy. Quote, when I came back to my native country after all the stories about Hitler, I couldn't ride in the front of the bus. I had to go to the back door. I couldn't live where I wanted. I wasn't invited to shake hands with Hitler, but I wasn't invited to the White House to shake hands with the president either. It gets more heartbreaking. Dude. His, his commercial opportunities failed to materialize. He was forced to race against horses and take on other demeaning jobs for years. And for a time, played with the Harlem Globetrotters until finally catching a break as a government ambassador in the 1950s. The opposite, while this was a giant FU to Hitler and everything that he stood for, the games pretty well succeeded as a form of propaganda, spotlighting the Nazi party as welcoming and orderly, even as it was preparing to launch another war and exterminating millions of Jewish people. Owens died of lung cancer in Tucson, Arizona on March 31st, 1980, as he smoked a pack of cigarettes a day for a good deal of his life as... The life of an athlete was a little bit different back then. I am absolutely shocked at this story. Yeah? I did not know any of this. I didn't know the lack of fanfare that he came back to. It shouldn't right. surprise us given gestures mm, aggressively America, at everything yeah. happening in the 1950s. But yeah. um, you would think but that... But the 1930... This is 1936. Yeah. yeah. I mean, not that it's like, oh, it was farther <laughs> back in time, so things yeah. <laughs> But I'm like, oh, that, uh, yeah, wow. I didn't know any of that. Mm -hmm. I'll be honest. I didn't even put two and two together that, like, Olympics would have happened when Hitler was right. Hitlering. Yeah. Um, as a and verb. The, the fact that, I mean, as you found out doing the research today, these things are planned long in advance. Yeah. Um, but the fact that he was allowed to host Olympic Games seems creepy and yeah. weird now I wonder, to go back on. I wonder how that was decided because, yeah, what what did I say? They're planned until 2032. There's, like, locations yeah. for them. Right. So it's, so like... So they plan these in, like, the 1900, like, early 1900s? Yeah, like, it was, like, 1920, and they were, like, let's go to Berlin in 1936, and then everything happens, and... Right. Because it's, like, it's not just that, you know, you think, oh, well, Olympics happened during, um, you know, Nazi occupations and stuff like that, but... Mm -hmm. 
that they hosted. Right. And that it's, again, this is one of the times where it's used blatantly as propaganda. We've right. seen it a bit more subtly since then. Um, and one could argue that that's all that it's turned into, especially with what opening ceremonies have turned into. Right. But um, th this was, I, I think, one of the first times where it was like, look how awesome this place is. They, they even, um, I didn't include it in this, they even coined it the Happy Games. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah. Okay, well, taking a, taking a big turn, my first Olympics-adjacent story is Cool Runnings. <laughs> As a cast of fictional characters who don't bear much resemblance to the real-life Jamaican bobsledders, uh, the Jamaican bobsled team that competed at the 1988 Winter Olympics here in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, was not composed of track sprinters as the Disney movie portrayed. The team members were actually recruited from the Jamaican army. The movie also depicts the Jamaican bobsledders as outcasts, but in real life, they were warmly welcomed at the 1988 Olympics. Two American businessmen living in Jamaica were inspired by a local pushcart derby, according to the Jamaican Bobsled Federation. George Fitch and William Maloney thought the sport looked like bobsledding, and from a Reddit Ask Me Anything, Stokes, who was recruited for the 1988 team, said, I got into bobsledding because I was told to go. I was in... <laughs> Great. I was in the army at the time. The colonel made the suggestion to me, and because I was a captain, you do as you're told and obey orders. Uh, there were two Americans, George Fitch and William Maloney, who were big into pushcart racing and thought it translated well into bobsledding. You mix that with the Jamaican athleticism, and they thought it could work with some of our track athletes. They couldn't get anyone to actually do the sport, so they went to the army and my colonel, so that's how I became involved in it. Once there, I was hooked. What? <laughs> this is like there's there's a meme floating around right now that's like people should be drafted into the Olympics. Like we don't just yep. send the best of the best. You just get a letter that's like you're a gymnast now and you have to go do it. Mm -hmm. That's very much this. Yeah. Like they were like, yeah, you seem like a, a fit, healthy man. Why why can't you be a bobsledder? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Uh, coaches were recruited from the U.S. and Austria. They helped teach the team how to bobsled. They trained in Austria and Lake Placid, New York. Uh, Stokes had very little training before the Olympics. Uh, this is not a surprise. Uh, he saw a bobsled for the first time in the fall of 1987. <laughs> and if you will remember that the Olympics happened in February of 1988. Yeah. So at the Olympics, for training, the team used borrowed equipment, and one of the teammates got injured during just some training exercises. Uh, on the team's first run during the four-man event, part of Stokes's sled collapsed, and on the second day, he fell and injured his shoulder. Stokes had a fast start, but ended up losing control of his sled at 85 miles per hour and crashed. Jeez. Yeah. They go fast, man. Yeah. They go so, so, so fast. Yeah, they're it's cruising very scary. In those. Sometimes when you watch them too, they just like ping pong off the sides. Mm, it's mm -hmm. very, I'm like, oh. Um, the teammates were trapped underneath the sled. And unlike in the movie scene of Cool Runnings, the team does not lift the sled over their heads and carry it across the finish line. Um, but they did uh, what any team would have done. And they pushed the sled to the end of the track before they lifted it. Uh, a popular quote from the movie Cool Runnings Feel the rhythm, feel the rhyme, get on up, it's bobsled time, was also made up 
for the movie. Oh, damn. Dang it. I know. I wish it was real. Uh, Jamaica's two-man bobsled team competed in the Sochi Olympics after 12 years of not having any Jamaican teams in the bobsled events, and they placed 29th. Uh, but <laughs> that's, I don't know what that's out of, but I have a, I have a sneaking suspicion it might be 30. Um, <laughs> but they qualified and raised money to attend the Olympics through cryptocurrency fundraisers. Fun, right? What a fun twist. Actually? Yeah. So not, uh, not anything like your first <laughs> Or any of mine. Um, <laughs> but no, that, that's hilarious. And yeah. You kind of, because the, the movie is so popular. Also, um, fun fact, I've never seen it. But the the movie is so popular uh-huh. and you get so many like, oh, yeah, the Jamaican bobsled team. Like, it's almost become like a punchline. Yeah. You kind of forget like they were real people really doing this. And to your point, it's not like you're just like whatever. Like, th- these are things going at very high rates of speed mm-hmm. and that can really hurt. It's a dangerous sport. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, very cool. And I also, I'm pretty sure that the... A Jamaican bobsled or a replica of it that they used in the 1988 Olympics is at Windsport. I think you're right. Yeah, it's like on display. You can sit in it. We should go to Windsport. Like they have the the <laughs> Hall of Fame there. We should go. <laughs> um, but no, and that it, it's so cool that it happened like in this city, right? Totally. Like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just like I don't know the the movie the movie makes it seem like and it is uh, a fairly inspiring story of just mm-hmm. like. You can learn to do this thing. You can do it. And um, in the movie, I think that they uh, they quote unquote practiced uh, bobsledding while they were still in Jamaica. Um, and they would sit in a like a, a pig's trough and they oh. would slide down hills. But of course, that is not real. That is dramatized. Right. It's not anything like bobsledding. You can just throw yourself down a rocky hill. <laughs> <laughs> but oh. yeah. Yeah. Great times. Very inspiring. Yeah. Um, so we also have some honorable mention things mm. in here, and I feel like I should go with mine now. Okay. Because the rest of my stuff is really sad. Okay. Um, and I want to say some at least something that's kind of happy during okay. this whole thing. So my honorable mention, I don't know if you, you, we talked about doing these, but now I don't see any written down. So if I was the only one who did this, I apologize. No, it's fine. I went with the weirdest sports ever at the Olympics. Oh, yes. And the first one you brought up, what was it? Ski dancing? Ski Ski ballet. ballet. Oh, ski ballet. It's so fun to watch. I need you you to explain this. So it's on, so if you think of your typical downhill skis, they're quite long. So ski ballet is on a little bit shorter of skis. Mm-hmm. Otherwise it'd be ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, it would just be unnatural to watch. <laughs> <laughs> but they use um, their skis, they have poles, and they literally are doing flips. Like they'll plant their poles into the ground and they'll flippy dip over them, land on their skis. <laughs> they'll be on the toe of one of their skis spinning around. It's, yeah, it's very, um, it's like the most awkward, beautiful thing you could watch. Yeah. And you just smile the whole time. Um, so that one I did kind of know about, but I just Googled like weirdest sports to happen at the Olympics. I had never heard of any of these. Okay. Uh, the first one, plunge for distance. At the 1904 games in St. Louis, competitors had to dive in a pool to see how far they could drift underwater until they surfaced for up to a maximum of a minute later. Uh, all five contestants were from the United States of America, <laughs> and the event was won by William Dickey with a distance of 62.5 feet. I have no idea and nothing to base on, but it seems impressive that you can get that low and then back up in a minute. Um, but right. I have nothing to, to base that on. It's literally just sinking. 
Yes. Like it was a sinking competition. Right. Who is How the, deep is the pool? Who is the... Well, it looked rather oceany to me, but I don't think St. Louis has one of those. So I don't know how deep the pool was. Wow. And also, who's down there checking? Like, is it, a, is it like a big glass thing that they dove? Because it's 1904, so underwater <laughs> camera technology, they, they barely have cameras. Um, so it's like one of those like big glass like tub things that someone dove down into. No, they just have like a, a, a string attached to their foot. <laughs> yeah. And then they just measure the water line on the string. You're you're joking that might actually be. I mean, that's what I if I lived in nineteen oh four, I would measure everything with string. Right. Yarn. Yarn for days. <laughs> Uh, the next one took place in the 1912 Olympics in Stockholm. It's pistol dueling. Not exactly like it sounds. Uh, the participants weren't actually firing at each other, which, holy shit. Um, instead, the men took part, had to turn and fire at mannequins dressed in coats with targets painted on their chests. Oh my god. You should do, they should do that this year. It's socially distant. Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I like that they went to the extra detail of dressing them in coats. Oh, that is cute. Mm-hmm. That's really... Do you think they had names? Oh, probably, yeah. Sorry, Paul. Sorry, George. <laughs> you shot Sven. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the next one, because even my fun ones have to have dark things in oh them. Oh, my gosh. Live pigeon shooting was an event <laughs> in the 1900 Paris Games. The object of the sport... Kill as many live pigeons as possible. <gasps> Duck hunt. Contestants were eliminated if they missed two in a row. <laughs> <laughs> the event was won by Belgium's Leon de London, who managed to kill 21 pigeons on his way to avian slaughtering glory. <laughs> I, I copy and pasted this right out of GQ magazine. If you're wondering where GQ fit into the Olympics, it's here. By the end of the event, more than 300 <gasps> pigeons oh. died on the field. I hope there were so many happy stray cats. Yeah. So many stray cats. Okay, um, I'm going to interrupt your uh, weird Olympic events. Okay. Because I do have a little fun fact, honorable mention, that okay. fits in with mangled pigeons. <laughs> it is the um, 19... Oh, that's not right. 1988... Oh, it is because the winter and summer Olympics used to be in the same year. Yes. So the summer Olympics from 1988 was in Seoul. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they, at their opening ceremony, lit the, the grand torch, and they released doves. Mm, a uh, sign of peace. Near the torch. Oh, no. And they just <laughs> roasted a bunch of doves. And now no live birds are part of the Olympic opening ceremony. <laughs> just some Kentucky fried doves. Uh, so, yes. Yeah, so, uh, in in Paris, we had mangled pigeons. Yeah. And in Seoul, we had a uh, fried dove. It's like in Drag Race, where the one drag queen tried to send out a live butterfly for her oh. uh, thing, and the butterfly was dead. I want to say that was Asia O'Hara in the season finale, and it was just, like, clumps of dead butterflies. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's something similar along those lines. Yeah. I promise my next two are funny. Um, I didn't catch which year this one was in, but there was a swimming obstacle course. One oh, year. fun! Swimmers had to climb up a pole, climb over a row of boats, and then swim under another row of boats. Oh, that's less fun. I thought it would be like wipeout style. They're like slipping on pads and stuff. <laughs> that would just turn wipeout into uh, an Olympic sport? Uh, hi, this is my new petition. Wipeout should be an Olympic sport. <laughs> uh, and lastly, Paris, 1900. Again, when just the weirdest shit went down. Paris was having a good time. 
poodle clipping. This was only a test event, meaning it didn't have full Olympic status. They were just seeing if it would work for following games. It involved 128 competitors, holy shit, performing in front of a crowd of 6,000, holy shitter, uh, where they had to clip the fur off as many poodles as they could in two hours. Avril Lefleu won gold with a total of 17 clipped poodles. Somehow, this event didn't make the cut. Where did they... Uh, uh, uh. Um, yeah. Where did they get the poodles from? Several questions around um, this. Like, A, why? B, where did you get all those poodles from? 128 competitors? Yes. The winner clipped 17. 17. So let's say that they did an average of 10 poodles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so almost 1,300 poodles found somewhere uh, in Paris. Naked and afraid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but also, like, is it just like bull riding where, oh, well, got a bad bull. Like, oh, yeah, got a bad poodle. If one of your poodles doesn't cooperate, like, do you have to just get lucky with, like... No, oh, totally not. You have to be able to to control your right? equipment. I, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> So wow. anyway, those are the weirdest events, uh, most of which I had no idea ever happened at the Olympics. Yeah, very fun. So um, one thing that kind of dawned on me while we were going. So Hitler's Olympics, we are now back into the serious Peter brings everything down portion of the show. Yay. Hitler's Olympics back in 1936. By the way, Germany hosted both winter and summer that year. Mm. Um, but those summer Olympics were the last Olympics until 1948 because World War right. II wiped out two full Olympic cycles. The other time that it was canceled was World War I when the games were supposed to be in Germany. Wow. So an interesting tie-in with all of those. So Germany wanted one last crack at it uh, in Munich in 1972. If you know, you're already groaning. Uh, the organizers of the 1972 Munich Games had aimed to overcome the dark history of Hitler's 1936 Berlin Olympics. Despite the message, the Munich Olympic Committee refused to acknowledge two requests by the Palestine Liberation Organization to compete in the Olympic Games. This inspired the leaders of the Black September Organization, who put forward a plan to use media coverage of the Olympics to draw attention to the plight of the Palestinian people and pressure Israel to set Palestinian prisoners free. The Munich Olympics opened on August 26th, 1972. On the morning of September 5th, Palestinian terrorists in ski masks ambushed the Israeli team, killing two and taking nine others hostage. The coverage that ensued was the first time the TV networks broadcast an act of terrorism to an audience of almost 900 million in real time. Black September demanded a plane to fly the hostages to Egypt. German authorities schemed to ambush the terrorists and rescue the hostages. Initial reports indicated the police had succeeded, but the unprepared rescuers bungled the mission. The remaining nine hostages died at an airbase just after midnight the same day. Um, the terrorists were also killed in the in all of this. And one of the, the more, uh, I guess, famous news broadcasts of this was Jim McKay of ABC News, who got official word of the disaster back in the United States during their primetime news broadcast and delivered the news just by saying, they're all gone. 
Wow. Olympic competition was suspended for 24 hours to hold memorial services for the slain athletes. After a memorial service was held for the athletes at the main Olympic Stadium, International Olympic Committee President Avery Brundage ordered the games continue to show that the terrorists hadn't won. Wow. Um, but it is one of the more haunting images, like certainly in the history of the Olympics and just in the history of photography, where there is a a single um, masked terrorist out on a balcony, just like shouting out. Um, and you just see him in his like mask and everything. It's, it is haunting. Wow. Um, and just like a, a true, true tragedy that happened at the Olympic games. So yes, I, I bringing things down again and I apologize. Oh, that's totally fine. Um, wow. I had no idea that happened either. Mm -hmm. I feel like we were discussing, uh, this, I, this podcast idea with your parents and even your mom was like, Oh, will you talk about the Munich, uh, incident? Mm -hmm. And I was like, I don't know about that. Well, there it is. There it is. Wow. Yeah. And this that's is very intense. I didn't have anything to snicker at or say. Yeah. Sorry. No, that's, um, <laughs> Uh, it should be noted that, again, running through uh, the German history of hosting the Olympics, uh, you have 1916, Berlin, cancelled. 1936, winter and summer. There's Nazi flags on the Wikipedia page. Whoa. Uh, World War II wipes out 1944 and 1940. And then 1972, Germany tries it one more time, and then this happens. Germany has not hosted the Olympics since. Yeah, I think that that's kind of like you throw in the towel and you're like, you know what? Not yeah, for us. Not, we're just not going to bother. Yeah, we don't need to. No. Um, but yeah, like this is one of the first times like Hitler's Olympics are broadcast on TV just anywhere um, for the first time. Mm -hmm. But these are some of the first games where it's being broadcast everywhere. Yeah, internationally. Right? Yeah, like 900 million viewers, like they were saying. Totally. So, um, yeah, quite the uh, quite the statement made. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, how about we go to the 1956 games? Okay. In Melbourne, uh, there was Cold War hostilities. Oh, lovely. <laughs> uh, between the athletes, as the political climate of the world was tense. Uh, no single event at the Melbourne Summer Games carried higher political stakes than the semi-final water polo match between Hungary and the USSR. Just weeks before the match, Soviet tanks and troops brutally crushed the short-lived Hungarian Revolution. These real-world rivals were meeting face-to-face -face in the Olympic pool. Before the game was over, those barely contained Cold War animosities erupted violently on the surface, and the showdown became known as the blood-in-the-water match. The Melbourne Games were held in late November and in early December 1956 to coincide with the Australian summer. In the October before... Hungarian students staged a large-scale street protest calling for freedom from Soviet occupation and political repression. They knocked down statues of Stalin and surrounded the state radio station, demanding to read a statement on air. Hungarian secret police opened fire on the students, and in response, members of the Hungarian army handed their weapons to the protesters. Within days, what started as an isolated street protest in Budapest quickly escalated into an armed revolution. Five days after the students' protest, the Soviet troops stationed in Hungary retreated under a rain of bullets and Molotov cocktails. Uh, the success of the Hungarian revolution impacted the Hungarian Olympic team as much as it did the student protesters and Hungarians throughout the country. The Hungarian athletes, including the water polo team, got on their planes to Australia, believing that they would be the first to represent a free Hungary. 
It took several days for them to arrive in Melbourne because their travel plans were interrupted by the Suez Crisis, uh, which Soviet leader Khrushchev, Nikita Khrushchev, not Kucherov, <laughs> he was not there. No. As far as I know. Still super not alive. Definitely not alive. Uh, Nikita Khrushchev threatened to nuke France and Great Britain if they didn't pull their troops out of Egypt. So again, tense, tense, tense. Mm. While the world's attention was focused on the drama unfolding in Egypt, Khrushchev moved against the uprising in Hungary. On November 4th, the Soviets stormed Budapest with overwhelming power, like hundreds of tanks, thousands of troops, air support. Uh, A quote, conservative estimates are that 20... 2,500 to 3,000 Hungarians were massacred in the Soviet reinvasion, and total Hungarian casualties were at least 20,000. Wow. Says Colin Gray, a filmmaker who shot the documentary about the 1956 Blood in the Water water polo match called Freedom's Fury. It was students and factory workers and Molotov cocktails against tank columns and warplanes. The Hungarian Olympic team had left Budapest with hope and arrived in Melbourne emotionally wrecked mourning the deaths of their people and their newfound freedom man i can't even imagine that no because it's like you don't like <laughs> right it just like it felt like the ussr was just like ruining everything for them <laughs> like, yeah no kidding um they channeled this into their performance uh as fate would have it the hungarian water polo team uh the overwhelming favorite to take gold was slated to play the soviets in a semi-final match the teams weren't strangers. Uh, the communist leadership back in Moscow was bitter that in 1952, the Hungarians had taken the gold medal, while the Soviet team didn't even place. Uh, to show the world the superiority of the Soviet system, the water polo team traveled to Hungary to train for the 1956 games, and some players became friends even across political lines. The Hungarian strategy was simple, to verbally and physically abuse the Soviet players until they lost their cool and retaliated, which would award the Hungarians a penalty. Uh, Friendships were put to the side as one of the first hits came from the Hungarian captain to the Soviet captain, breaking his nose. After being checked by doctors, the Soviet captain got back into the pool, only to be hit again in his nose by the Hungarian captain. (laughs) Um, I guess water polo is like notoriously physical and rough. Mm -hmm. I did not know that. Um, Have you ever watched water polo? Uh, Nope. It's kind of fun. Really? Yeah. It's the summer games right now. We should watch it. We should, yeah. Uh, Most of the kicks and punches of the Hungarian, of the Hungary USSR were uh, not exceptional in their violence. Like we just said, like I guess that it happens. Uh, One reporter said about the violence though, that the only difference between previous games and this game was it was very continuous. It was vicious and it was personal. There were some very angry Hungarians in the pool. The Hungarians were winning for nothing with only minutes to go when a young star of their team was given the assignment of guarding a Soviet player who had just broke a Hungarian player's eardrum. Oh. Right? As the two men jockeyed for position, a stream of insults was said to the Soviet player about his mama. (laughs) What do you think he said? Oh, man. I have no idea. Your mama's so dumb, she opens a window to see outside. (laughs) With 90 seconds on the clock, the referee blew the whistle and the Hungarian player looked to see why the ref blew. With his back turned, the Soviet player rose up and hit him on the right side of his face. And there's some pretty um, uh, good pictures of this. Like this is one of those moments that's like frozen in media Mm. of the Hungarian player getting to the pool. And there's just 
blood gushing Jeez. from like the right side of his face. Uh, the referees called the game and Australian police officers escorted the players back to their locker rooms in order to avoid an all-out brawl. The Hungarian team would then go on to win the gold medal against Yugoslavia. Uh, and as a quick side note from this brawl, there were American spies posing as members of the press who would arrange for visas for any athletes who wanted to defect to the West after their performances at the Games. Several members of the Hungarian water polo team, including the the younger player and the captain, were among the 46 athletes who, escaped, who accepted the invitation to wow. defect. Yeah. Uh, it was reported that before the semifinal match, there was definitely a team meeting. The Hungarians basically said, let's go beat the Soviets, win the gold medal, and then each of you go do what's right for your own future. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's some real last stand shit. Uh, like enough like, yeah. oh, we're going to get traded. No, we're going to defect. L- yeah. That's great. Like, like the emotional roller coaster oh. that is all of that. And sometimes we say that in sports where, oh, they were up by a couple. Now they were down by a couple. Mm-hmm. Um. But, like, all the real-world stuff going on in all of that. Mm-hmm. Your country is getting reinvaded. Yeah. After Thousands you thought, of people are dying. After you thought you were, like, free yeah. to have all of that taken away. And then, oh, yeah, I'm just never going to see my family again. Cool. Yeah. Like, just can't Wild. even begin to... While winning a gold medal. Like, to... Not that athletics is the, the key part of any of this. But to, like, have all of that going on and to stay at the top of your game mm-hmm. is so damn impressive. Totally. And yeah, just to like, to think about that, that almost like that high of winning something, that elite. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, you have to think about what that represents for their country at that time. Yeah. Like they thought they were going to represent a free Hungary and then they weren't. Yeah. And so it's like, how do you win it? And you, yeah, you feel that like, kind of like national pride and then you defect. Yeah. Oof. Anyways, that's, that's my wild. that's my bummer story. That's um that is one I had no idea about. Mm. Um so I'm I'm happy to now know of that. That's crazy. That yeah. sounds like an interesting documentary too. Oh totally. Yeah, yeah, we should definitely um what was that called? I'll say it again. Freedom's Fury. Yeah, definitely check that out. Yeah. All right. My last bummer one, uh, which <laughs> means it's my last one. The 1968 games in Mexico to kind of set the scene beforehand, both Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. and U.S. Senator Robert F. Kennedy had been assassinated in 1968. Vietnam War protests on and off college campuses also spread nationally. The violence police unleashed on these protesters, notably at the 1968 Democratic National Convention in Chicago, made international headlines. At this time, San Jose State sociology professor Harry Edwards founded the Olympic Project for Human Rights, which included Tommy Smith and John Carlos as leaders. The project focused on the welfare of black people globally and advocated for black athletes. Specifically, they fought for the hiring of black coaches and the barring of South Africa and present-day Zimbabwe from the Olympics for participating in apartheid. Mm -hmm. Those involved in the Olympic Project for Human Rights contemplated boycotting the Games, while Lou Alcindor, who is now Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, did choose to sit out the event. Smith and Carlos opted to attend, in part because of the opportunity to address their human rights concerns before tens of thousands of spectators. Mm -hmm. In addition to better treatment for African descent worldwide, Smith and Carlos were concerned over an event that happened 
10 days before the Summer Games. On October 2nd, 1968, Mexican military troops and police officers shot into a crowd of unarmed student protesters, killing as many as 300 youth. I say as many as there was never an official tally. Wow. Uh, this incident, along with their existing concerns about human rights, influenced the pair to make a political statement at the Olympics, which again, we're going back to the 1930s, now we're in the 1960s, and in present day, this shit is always happening, which is heartbreaking. Yeah, when will protesting, you know... When will we not need to protest? When will we not need to protest, yeah. yeah. After winning the gold and bronze medals in the 200-meter race, while a white Australian athlete named Peter Norman won silver, we'll get to him in a second, uh, the duo stepped onto the podium wearing their symbolic beads, scarves, socks, and gloved fists. Carlos used a black t-shirt to conceal the USA on his uniform mm -hmm. to, quote, reflect the shame I felt that my country was traveling at a snail's pace towards something that should be obvious to people of goodwill. Uh, this was, that's a quote from his book, The John Carlos Story, The Moment That Changed the World. Both men also wore Olympic Project for Human Rights badges, uh, as did Norman, who asked how he could support their cause. Uh, Smith told Smithsonian Magazine in 2008, It was a cry for freedom and for human rights. We had to be seen because we couldn't be heard. As the athletes waited to get to the podium, Carlos and Smith told Norman that they planned to use their win as an opportunity to protest. Smith and Carlos decided to appear on the podium bearing symbols of protest and strength, like I said before. Black socked feet without shoes to bring attention to black poverty, beads to protest lynching, and raised black gloved fists to represent their solidarity and support with black people and oppressed people around the world. Mm -hmm. Carlos realized he had forgot his gloves, and Norman suggested that the American athletes just share a pair. The Australian also asked how he could support his fellow medalists. They suggested wearing the badge. Uh, Norman didn't raise his fist, but wearing the badge made his stance very clear. Hmm. As the American athletes raised their fists, the stadium hushed. Uh, Carlos told The Guardian, and this is a direct quote because I could definitely not come up with this. You could have heard a frog piss on cotton. There's something awful about hearing 50,000 people go silent like being in the eye of a hurricane. Wow. Then they erupted into racist sneers and angry insults. So something that is looked upon so powerfully today at the time, yeah, not so much. Smith and Carlos were rushed from the stadium, suspended by the U.S. team, and kicked out of Olympic Village for turning their medal ceremony into a political statement. They went home to the United States only to face serious backlash, including death threats. The L.A. Times accused them engaging in a, quote, Nazi-like salute. Norman, meanwhile, was punished severely by the Australian sports establishment. Again, the white dude who was up there who wore the patch. He qualified for the Olympic team over and over again, posting the fastest times by far in Australia, but he was snubbed by the 1972 team. Rather than allow Norman to compete, the Australians didn't send a sprinter at all. Wow. Norman immediately retired from the sport and began to suffer from depression, alcoholism, and a painkiller addiction. Caroline Frost from the BBC wrote, quote, During that time, he used his silver medal as a doorstop. Norman died without being acknowledged for his contributions to the sport. Though he kept his silver medal, he was regularly excluded from events relating to the sport. Even when the Olympics came to Sydney in 2006, he was not recognized. 
When Norman died in 2006, Carlos and Smith, who kept in touch with Norman over the years, were pallbearers at the Australian's funeral. As for Smith and Carlos, the pair briefly became NFL stars, with Smith playing three seasons for the Cincinnati Bengals and Carlos playing one year for the Philadelphia Eagles and another for the Montreal Alouettes of the Canadian Football League. Carlos went on to become a community liaison for the 1984 Los Angeles Summer Olympics, and in 2008, 40 years after they raised their fists during the Olympic medal ceremony, Smith and Carlos were honored with the Arthur Ashe Award for Courage. Eight years later, then-President Barack Obama recognized them during a White House ceremony. Mm -hmm. Quote, their powerful silent protest in the 1968 Games was controversial, but it woke folks up and created greater opportunity for those that followed. They were also asked to be U.S. Olympic Committee ambassadors in 2016. So a bit of a better ending than uh, the the Jesse Owens one, but still, um, again, to think back about how like how powerful that statement is seen now. And that is a, a picture that is used in a number of different things to talk about the Olympics. Uh, but at the time, like the most horrifying racial slurs you can think of they heard them at what was supposed to be their private proudest accomplishment wow well i mean it has to be a picture Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) because if it was a if it was a clip you would know what was actually happening wow i'm really glad you told that story i did not know i Mm -hmm. did not know that yeah there's like there's nobody stronger than black people in this world i tell you like yeah it's 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 so powerful um the uh apparently at the time Australia wasn't being super awesome to not white folks. Yeah. Um, uh, apparently, specifically Aboriginal people were getting it very bad over there. Mm-hmm. And so Norman was already kind of fed up with things. And then when they said, yeah, we're planning on doing something. All right. Yeah, I'm in. Wow. And then to not be acknowledged even like in his final days is heartbreaking as well. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's quite the image, and well, we don't see a ton on the uh, the podium now. But there was, uh, I should have looked this up before. Uh, but there was a shot putter, um, yes, who um, a woman shot putter, yeah, who did a, a protest now, and there was some discussion as to whether or not there would be kind of sanctions against her as well. Wow. That was in this Tokyo 2020? Yes. Yeah, it's there. Uh, silver medalist Raven Saunders. Um, she put up an X in support mm. of um, LGBTQ+. And apparently they have stopped the investigation because her mother suddenly died. So that sucks. But yeah, we you don't see a lot on that stage. But I thought the kind of blocking out the U.S., on the, the shirt was rather um, mm-hmm. rather noteworthy. It's also, to, to go back to Jesse Owens, there's a real wow picture back of him standing on the, um, standing on the thing, uh, the podium. And it's him with a uh, Japanese runner who is saluting. No, just standing there, sorry. Jesse's saluting. And in third place was a German who was giving the Nazi salute and there are Nazi salutes all over. And there is a black man standing atop the podium. It's quite the, quite the scene for sure. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Imagine like waking up and just your existence as a protest. (laughs) Can't imagine. No. And and again, like just 
to to still have the courage to to do that is mm-hmm. very very impressive. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, you have to be scared for your for your life at totally. some point. Like... Well, the if you go back and look at the picture, um, Carlos doesn't put his hand up all the way. He he kind of has it bent a little bit, and he was like, "If I have to throw hands, it needs to be ready." Basically. Oh my god. Um, because they didn't they didn't know what reaction to expect, but they were pretty sure it wasn't going to be a positive one. Right. Wow. Okay, well, how about we take the biggest left turn <laughs> we've ever taken on this show? Okay. I'm going to take us to 2016, right up close to where we are now, to the Rio Olympics. Um, and all of the many blunders that happened. Okay. At the Rio Olympics. All right. So the first one came uh, when the keys to the gates got lost before the first women's soccer match. <laughs> So they literally had to get wire cutters to open the gates to let players and fans in. I have no idea if they found the keys ever. Like they, Someone just like literally was like, oh, my janitor style key ring is yeah. gone. Yeah. So issues that are taken care of when you play like Calgary Sport and Social Club volleyball mm-hmm. is fine. But at the highest <laughs> level of sport on the planet... We Someone's have an issue. Like, Ugh, we should have made a copy of that key. Yeah. Uh, the Rio Olympics also brought us the Phelps mad face meme mm, mm-hmm. where he had like his hood up and he looks just absolutely pissed. Yeah. Uh, he looks like a Star Wars character. Totally. Uh, and questions about why he looks so mad, Phelps said that he was just listening to music and getting in the zone and that he wasn't mad. He was just focused. I need to know what song that was. Right? Probably Eminem Lose It. I was just going to say ah! 100%, 100% Eminem Lose Yourself. <laughs> Um, the Olympic pools, land and diving, turned green during Rio. Oh, I forgot mm-hmm. about that. I know, I did too. Organizers thought that it was an algae bloom because why, I don't know. Um, but there were also rumors that they ran out of chemicals to treat the pools, so that's gross. Um, Ugh. yeah. Parzival is a horse who is in the dressage competitions. Okay. And going back to your... Your stories of weird Olympic events, dressage needs <laughs> yes. to be in there. And also, everybody needs to go watch uh, Kevin Hart and Snoop Dogg oh. watching dressage and doing my my play on it because it is simply the best. Um, Just quickly, sorry, one of the events that didn't make the cut from this is an honorable mention for my honorable mention. Okay. Horse long jump. I think that needs no further explanation. Yeah. So Parzival, this horse who does dressage, okay. was bitten by a mosquito at the Rio Olympics, and he developed toxic fever. Jeez. Uh, I'm sure that after way too much money for an equestrian vet, uh, Parzival recovered and was fine, but did have to drop out of the Rio dressage events. Devastating. Uh-huh. For a few of the medal ceremonies that China had won, so they're like getting their medals, mm-hmm. um, there was a knockoff Chinese flag used. Oh, no. Um, where the stars, so, like, it's the star in the corner, and then there's, like, stars kind of in, like, a, a quarter circle around it. Mm-hmm. Um, in the actual flag, those stars are all just, like, straight up. Okay. But in the knockoff flag, the stars were, like, tilted to go around the circle. Oh. Do you know what I mean? Yep. Um, so there was a knockoff flag. <laughs> I'm like, where was that made? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> the lagoon... Where kayaking events took place uh, was reportedly very polluted. And Mm. organizers in Rio said that they would get it cleaned up before the events. Like, they were like, this is the lagoon we plan on using. And the, what is it, OAC? IOC. 
IOC. Uh, the IOC was like, clean it up. And Rio was like, we will. And then during a warm-up, a kayaker was reportedly capsized when the front of his kayak hit a submerged couch. <laughs> Were you expecting me to say those words? Nope, sure This wasn't. is a Mad Libs yeah. of a story. Um, the hashtag kayak sofa began trending on Twitter. Venue managers a few days later put out a statement saying that they found no evidence of a couch in the water. But Olympians did say that the water smelled like garbage and plastic bags were seen floating Ugh. during competitions. So is a couch out of the question? Who knows? Uh, one of the biggest stories during the Rio Olympics was the fake mugging of Ryan Lochte and the other swimmers. Mm -hmm. um, and a quick side note before I tell this story is that Ryan Lochte had silver hair. Yep. And after doing his pool events, it apparently turned green. <laughs> His hair also turned green because of whatever was in the water and his hair dye. That's fantastic. Right? So Ryan Lochte told a story that went like this. We got pulled over in the taxi and these guys came out with a badge, a police badge. No lights, no nothing. Just a police badge and they pulled us over. They pulled out their guns. They told the other swimmers to get down on the ground. They got down on the ground. I refused. I was like, we didn't do anything wrong, so I'm not getting down on the ground. And then they pulled out and then the guy pulled out his gun. He cocked it and he put it to my forehead and he said, get down. And I put my hands up. I was like, whatever. He took our money. He took my wallet. He left my cell phone. He left my credentials. So what actually happened is that the four swimmers had gone out to party they stopped at a gas station after drinking, and while in the bathroom, they damaged the door. Due to a language barrier and the swimmers being trashed, a security guard had to get involved because the gas station owner was like, give me money for my damaged door. Yeah. Um, but the security guard did pull out a gun, so Ryan took that as them getting mugged um, and then kind of made up a story so he didn't have to tell anyone that he was drunk and rowdy and broke a door. Right. So there is reports that the swimmers did give money to the gas station attendant and left. So hmm. a little different, a little different. Yeah. Um, this like his made up story solution was obviously a much better way to go. <laughs> yeah. Um, Cause no one was going to find that out. In no one was going to find that out. There's not cameras all over the place. No. And like, you're not probably being followed by media. Yeah. Um, the aftermath of Lochte gate, which is a nice throwback to Watergate. Yeah was criticism of the obvious privilege associated with it, um, that these American swimmers told a story that was just immediately accepted, um, and the fact that Ryan thought he could just spin a tale of him being drunk and disorderly into a mugging does really speak to that. Yeah. Uh, apparently, Brazilians were upset because it painted their country in a very poor light. Um, I mean, I think the Rio Olympics just kind of did that anyways, but yeah, well, I do understand why they are upset about it. There was a lot of talk about that it was going to be dangerous going over there mm -hmm. um, in 2016. Which like, is exactly why he could spin that kind of story. Absolutely, yeah. And yeah. that was, like at the time, a lot of the reaction was, see, we told you they shouldn't have gone. Because mm -hmm. there was a lot of talk, like, should we even be having these games? And we sent, um, I was working uh, with a sports radio station at the time, and there was a guy with our affiliated TV station who went over there and we had him on the phone. I was like, Hey, like, are you, are you okay? He said, yeah, it's the same as every place on earth. Mm -hmm. If you want to find trouble, there are places where you can find it. And if you're not a jackass, you're probably going to be fine. Yeah. I say that all the time, no matter where we go. Yeah. If you don't look for trouble, probably not going to find you. There's yeah. obviously unlucky circumstances, but if you're not going into gas stations drunk with your three athlete friends and breaking doors, you're probably going to be fine. Yeah, you're probably not going to have a gun pulled on you. Probably not. Yeah. Anyways. 
This was a Olympics adjacent events. Yes. We didn't get into some of the other ones I thought we would. Whoa, we've like left, what? We've left other ones for next year at the Olympics. Ooh. Ooh. Cliffhanger. Right? <laughs> Um, thank you for downloading, and thank you, Peter, for telling. I I really liked your your Olympic events. Oh, good. Mine even... were mine were silly and and odd, and I think that yours were much more impactful. And I think good to hear. Yeah, no problem. I'm I'm I was worried that I was bringing the house down. With no, this, like kind of super negative stories. Like, I mean, oh well, hey, Jamaican Jamaican bobsled team. Yeah, well, nine people died. <laughs> it is like. I want to say the word comical here, but I, I don't want to seem insensitive. It is a little comical that they were like, Rio's going to be dangerous. But like, literally, they sent black athletes to Germany in 1936. But hey, <laughs> right. hindsight is a wonderful thing. Yes. <laughs> I hadn't put that together. That's really good. Yeah. So thank you for downloading uh, this podcast. And actually, I did want to say um, that going through all of these topics and all of these like events that I didn't know about um during these last 21 episodes it really kind of drives home this fact of like layers to me okay uh in that nothing is black and white you know nothing is one or a hundred there's approximately a hundred numbers <laughs> that you can have instead um and yeah you know we talk about like there was Olympics happening, but there's also Cold War tensions and mm -hmm. Hungary is getting invaded by the Soviets and then they have to go stand with these Soviet people at medal ceremonies or there's people doing a Hitler salute while a black athlete stands on the top of the podium. Like there's so many layers to all these things. Yeah. And now that, you know, we're actually cracking the Google do and a book and a documentary once in a while. It just is insane to me how how many, like, threads are in this fabric, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, what's noteworthy to me, and this will be something for a different episode, um, how many, like, layers of this fabric come back to the Cold War? Like, how many of our things have been, like, and during the Cold War? Cold War, Korean um, War, Vietnam War. Yeah, like, they all just kind of spiral back to those sorts of things. So I've, I have found that interesting and have noted those throughout, yeah. the, uh, throughout the way. But no, you're right. Like, it's, um, I think that there's a lot of times where it's, well, history is written by the winners. And now we're starting to understand how dangerous that can be. Yeah. Because you're right. Like, there are layers to every side of all of these stories, mm -hmm. right? Like and we live in the age of information. Like, yeah. history used to be written by the victors. Mm -hmm. And now everybody writes history. Yeah. And, and, then, anyone... and then we read it and break it down into 45 minutes. <laughs> and then anyone can just host a podcast and tell you a tale. <laughs> but thank you for coming along this journey with us. Um, for our uh, episode 22, we will be taking a small hiatus just for a week. <laughs> Um, so episode 22 will be delayed. Uh, mm -hmm. We will talk to you at mid-August, mid I guess. Which is crazy. Which is crazy that we're already at that point. But uh, yeah, we're going to be taking next week off. So I don't know. Re-listen to this one. <laughs> I don't know. Go wa watch a documentary or something. Yeah, yeah. Why don't you go pick pick a documentary on one of the many topics we've covered that we've said we would uh, look into more. Right. And... Call, you know hit us send us an email mm -hmm. 
after you've done that, tell us what you watched. I'd love to know what you learned about this week while I do whatever it is I'm going to do. Right. Took a break from learning. Took a break from learning. <laughs> My brain hurts. <laughs> Um, but thank you, thank you for uh, downloading, rating, reviewing, subscribing, uh, liking our stuff on Instagram, telling your friends. We really appreciate it. This has been uh, a lot of fun. And, you know, it just turns out that learning feels good. <laughs> I can't top that. Yeah. So thank you. Right. Rate, review, subscribe wherever possible. Yeah. Email at- the show. At We Had No Idea Podcast on Instagram, We Had No Idea Podcast at gmail.com. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye.